0: It's good to have you tonight. We were talking about how you're doing in regards to an evaluation of faith last last week, last Wednesday. Uh, We want to continue that. And to begin, I'd like to read our our text, which is 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting with the first verse. We're talking about a pure, abiding faith. Notice as I read the number of times that Paul brings to the attention of the Thessalonians the importance of faith and what he was looking for and anxious to hear uh, from Timothy when he returned with his report. Paul had evangelized this country or this region and had had a lot of fruit. But he got run out after three weeks and had not been able to return. And so he sends Timothy. Timothy. And here is Timothy's report. What Paul is interested in is, how is their abiding faith? How is their faith? Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone. And I said, Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation. Just as it happened, and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer stand it or endure it, I sent to know what your faith, about your faith. Lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us, from you, and brought us good news of your faith, of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live, and if you stand fast in the Lord, for what thanks can we render to God for you? for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face, see your face again, and perfect, mature what is lacking in your faith. He was concerned about their faith. And that's why we had the checkup. How you doing? When I finished, I, I left a warning. And I want to start there. Because we can do this. We can use faith attempting to make that faith work for us. I call that pragmatic faith. Trying to use faith to your advantage. And there are those in the body of Christ and those who are in teaching positions uh, that have problems with calling out to God. They don't want people to call out to God uh, saying it's a lack of faith. So, They would say, don't admit that you have problems. Don't say that you're sick. Don't say that because it's an indication that you're lacking in faith. Now, that's not scriptural because all we have to to do is look at what James had to say. Would you hold your position in Thessalonians and turn to James for just a moment? Turn to your right to James. James chapter 5. Some people are probably familiar with this passage. There may be those... Who are not? But James was certainly interested when people got sick and he had a plan. James chapter 5, verse 13. He asks, Is anyone among you suffering? If so, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So confess your trespasses to one another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed Because the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So why did James declare? If anyone's in trouble, pray. If anyone's sick, call on the elders and let them pray and anoint that individual. How can we truly pray or ask others to pray unless we first admit we have a problem? that we have needs, that we have difficulties. As I have just read to you, the Scriptures indicate that many of the believing, the men of believing faith certainly did this on a regular basis. I heard of a minister one time who told his people that when they come to the altar of his church for individual prayer, that he didn't want them to say, I have a cold, I have diabetes, I have a heart problem, He wanted them and trained them to say, I have the symptoms of a cold. I have the symptoms of heart disease. Because otherwise, they would not be walking in faith. Um, It's more than a mind game. um, Because the faith that God wants us to have is the faith to face the problem head on. We need to face those kind of problems head on. And we just look at the example of Abraham and Sarah. In Romans 4:19 and 21, listen to these words. Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. That's powerful scripture. And it's realism about the problem. That we need to have. That's not anti-faith in the slightest. To look at a problem head on. And say that you have faith. But you're going to look at it realistically. In fact Abraham said. God you're the only one that can solve this problem. You're the only one that can change the situation that I'm in. Come and help me. He prayed. Paul was looking for true faith. um, Abiding faith. I love this song um Annie Hawks wrote it It's called I need thee every hour You ever, you remember it Isn't that the way it is Isn't that the testimony of many of us tonight I need thee Oh I need thee It's every hour that I need thee Oh bless me now my savior I come to thee. But how many times a day do we pause? How many times do we come with that prayer? That prayer of needing God. I think God loves it. I think God desires us to come with that prayer. Because we're we're dependent. We're dependent upon Him. We can't make it without Him. Uh, Many of us try to handle things on our own, don't we? We think we can solve the problems that we're in, but the truth of the matter is we need him. We need him all the time. If you look at the half-and-half the half Christian, if, you can, if I can use that term, you'll find that many of those people think the object of Christianity is to read the Bible every day, which you should. You should read the Scripture every day. There are many answers there, of course. But then as Christians, they try to, to live a good life as best they can and thus earn God's approval. Now, we know the key to salvation is saving faith because we don't earn it, but we rather receive it by grace through faith. But remember what Paul said to the Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians, having begun in the spirit, are you now trying to attain by human effort? And we can do it as Christians just as we can do it as individuals needing Christ. We need God. We need God all the time. I do some marriage officiated marriages from time to time. I love doing that. I think all the ministers here enjoy that. It's a wonderful opportunity because now we do premarital counseling. We spend time with the, with the couples and get to see them and, and just really get to know them. It's just a wonderful time. And then, of course, in the ceremony, uh, I have a part of my ceremony, which I call the pledge. And... Um, Gary and and Cindy were the last two that I married, and it was a wonderful service if you were here. But I think they'll remember this because I've been doing this for about a year now. I changed the pledge around. Um, The response to the pledge, and in fact Gary and and, and Cindy did this, Um, it goes like this. Cindy would say in response to this pledge, she would say, Uh, I I would say this to Cindy. Cindy, will you have Gary to be your husband? And will you pledge your respect to Gary in all love and honor and all duty and service, in all faith and tenderness to live with Gary and to cherish Gary according to the ordinance of God and the holy bond of marriage? At the end of that, I would ask, will you? And for a long time, I would encourage the response to be, I will. But I've changed it a little bit. And I could ask them to tell you. I think they would know. But i changed it to where they respond with, I will with the help of Almighty God. Just a little addition there. But I will with the help of Almighty God. Why do I do this? Because I've concluded that human effort alone may not carry a couple today. And... It takes work in our marriages. You have to work to have a good marriage. But you need God in that marriage too. And when we say that, when they say that, what we're doing is is begging and imploring God to help us to build this marriage to be what God wants it to be. Now we'll have to check Gary and Cindy out in about 40 years to see how it works. But I have a feeling you're going to see that take place in their lives because they took it very seriously. They realize that they need the help of God as we all do. You know what many people do when they break down in the Christian life? I know I do this from time to time. Just check yourself out. What many people do when they break down in the Christian life? They try harder. They try harder, and they try harder, and they try harder. My question would be, what do you try harder with? What do I try harder with when I break down in the Christian life? I've looked inside of me, and I stopped looking. Because there ain't nothing there. There ain't nothing there that, God can, that I can use. There's nothing there that's good in me. I'm saved, yes. But I still have nothing good that God can use. So why do we try hard? We should turn and look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. How do the righteous live? The righteous live by faith. The righteous live by pure, abiding faith. So the question to you tonight is, how are you doing? How are you doing in the building of your pure, abiding faith? Now, I don't know about you, but after I became a Christian, here's what I thought the great Christians looked like you kind of get a picture in your mind. They're really outstanding Christians. I'm a new Christian, and I'm trying to determine what what does one look like, what should be my pattern, what should be my model, who should I follow. What's a great Christian look like? And at first I thought they were the ones who walked around with their shoulders thrown back because of an inner strength and power. They could quote the Scripture, and they let everyone know that they had arrived. I knew those kind of people in my hometown of Kansas. Nothing wrong with studying the Scripture. The Bible tells us to, commands us to. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. We need that. We need to study it. But is that what a Christian looks like? One with their their chest out? Because they have arrived. Watch me. Follow me and you've got the example. You've got the pattern. Here's what I have learned over 41 years of being a Christian. 41 years, and a lot of struggles, a lot of sum-ups, a lot of downs. Here's what I've learned. The mature believer is bent over, oftentimes on their knees, leaning very heavily on the Lord. They have admitted total inability to do anything without Jesus Christ. And here's something worth remembering if, you're, if you want to have, a, have something to take with you tonight. And I believe this. I believe this statement. The greatest Christian is not the one who has achieved the most. The greatest Christian is the one who has received the most. Think about it. It's not what you achieve. It's what you receive The greatest Christian is the one who has received the most. And what would that be that we've received? God's grace. His love. His mercy. And that would flow through us as we walk in total dependence upon him. That's what God wants from you. Total dependence upon him. When you look in yourself, you're not going to find much. It's what he's doing in you. That really counts. So we need him. We need him every hour. I respect Jim Symbala very, very much. Some of you may have heard of him. Some of you may have not. Let me tell you just a little bit about him before I relate this story. Uh, Jim Symbala is pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle in Brooklyn, New York. And his wife, although she reads no notes, is a tremendous writer of songs. And she can't read a note. And she conducts the Brooklyn Tabernacle. It goes all over the country. And they have done a tremendous work there. They have four services on Sunday. And they have a lot of other services. But he has based his entire ministry. On Tuesday night. And Tuesday night is prayer. Prayer night in which the congregation comes in from all parts of New York from all over on the subways and various, various modes of transportation and for three hours they simply pray and I've heard him say it many times the only indispensable meeting we have during the week is Tuesday night Now, I hope that you're not hearing me say that I don't believe we should teach truth. Sir, sure, we should teach truth. And please don't hear that I think we don't do that well here. That's a real strength of this church. God bless us for having teachers like Jimmy and Richard and Umi and right on down through through our group here. But Simbala has said, what will make this church be what God wants it to be is the prayers of our people and so Tuesday night's it that's the big night and my son who's also in the ministry has been there and he said dad you you can't believe it he said it's packed out people are standing there are people back in there's back rooms back there they're they're praying they're praying for people that send in requests from all over the country and he says there's there's no agenda there's no there's no plan the people just pray and pray and they'll sing and then they'll pray and it's He says the three hours ago went like that. All they're doing is praying. So I really appreciate Jim Seminole's ministry. And he's also an author. Uh, If you have a chance, pick up some of his books and read them. I think you'll be thrilled with what Jim has to say. But he was telling this story about one of his mentors, one of an older gentleman that had ministered to him over the years. And you could tell that that Jim had just a a lot of respect for this minister. And he'd spent a lot of time with him. Um, And Cimbala was driving down the New Jersey Turnpike. And on the radio comes this guy's voice. You know, this minister that he so admired. He's teaching or preaching or whatever, and Cimbala gets glued to it. And Cimbala relates that the guy says, after many years of successful ministry... As a teacher and an expositor of God's word, this older gentleman was forced to stay home because of a lingering illness. He got sick. And this change from busyness to lying flat on his back brought on a sense of depression in this guy's life. This guy was a hero to Cymbala. He said he struggled to overcome it by focusing on God's word, which is what I would do, too, and probably what you also would do, trying to find answers, trying to, trying to study God's Word. That's a good place to go. But it was difficult because of his sickness, and because of his illness, because of his health. Now, um, ten years ago, I had the exact experience. Ten years ago. Exact same thing happened to me. I was in another church, and I got flat on my back and was depressed for three months afterwards. Because you can't do anything when you're flat on your back. And if you're used to doing something, it becomes frustrating. And you look for answers, and you read, and you read, and and the answers don't come, and you get more and more depressed. Well, this guy was telling this, and Symbol is listening. He said, suddenly, it gets worse. It gets worse in this mentor's life. He said, suddenly, it was as if a sewer top had been lifted from his head and from his heart, and ugly temptations, irritation, and evil thoughts rose up to besiege him. Those things that he hadn't dealt with for years or encountered. And he said he was even tempted to swear and use profanity. And the gentleman said he didn't even swear when he was a non-Christian. And yet all of these things are coming out of his head and out of his heart. Now here's the question. How can this be? How could this happen to a man of the, that is a tremendous Christian, teacher, expositor, minister, who'd been doing this for 40 or 50 years, mentored many Jim Symbolists? How can this happen? Why can this desperate battle take place? You have any answers? You wonder how this might occur? And I I guess I would ask you, has anything like this ever happened to you? Have you ever wondered where those thoughts come from? Where those temptations come? Things you felt like that you had conquered years ago. All of a sudden they're back and they're worse. And yet you've been walking with the Lord for years and years. How can it be? Here was his answer and i've been i've been thinking about this for a long time and i don't know that 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 you're this is something that you're working on or processing maybe it's just me but god made real to him how this could happen because he said that his human nature had never really changed this man this mentor of sembla 50 60 years a christian ministering for 40 or 50 says that is, human nature had really never changed. Now, Second Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man or woman be in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things become new. Are you saying, Jeff, do you believe in that? I sure do. I absolutely do. Some of you know I was an athlete, and I was a Christian when I was an athlete. When they asked for my autograph, Jeff Simons, 2 Corinthians 5.17. I did that at age 19 until I finished playing. It's an anchor verse of my testimony in my life. Therefore, any man be in Christ. But this man said that his human nature had really never changed. Now, Christ, when we become a new creation, when we're regenerated, when we come to him, Christ comes into your life as He came into my life as my indwelling Savior and Lord in the presence of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Praise God. That occurred. That happened. I don't doubt it. I know it happened for me. I'm sure it's happened for you. But what about our human nature? Or what about the old man? Or what about the flesh? That's what intrigues me. What happens with that in regard to a Christian? That's a question I think we all need to to really look at and come up with our answers. Okay, let me go on with this. Jim said he pulled over the curb that afternoon and wept. He just bawled like a baby. He said, here's one of these heroes in the faith who had stunned him with his vulnerability. And... I can identify with it because I believe I'm I've trusted Christ. I believe I'm a Christian. But I think that my human nature has never changed either. Even though I'm a new creation in Christ. It's there. It's there. Now listen to this. Apart from God's grace and power, I'm absolutely hopeless. Are you? I am. I know that. I've looked into me. Apart from God's grace and power, I'm hopeless. And so I believe this is the truth God never works with our flesh or, or our old nature. Now, why would God never work with our flesh or our old nature? He would never work with our flesh or old nature because it's too depraved. I know mine is. Why would He work? with my depraved, sinful nature. Oh yes, He's forgiven me. Oh yes, He indwells me. Oh yes, I'm in the process of sanctification. But that flesh, that old nature, that old man, he's depraved. I'm never going to need stop needing the power of the Holy Spirit during my Christian walk. And you're not either. We're going to continue to need it on a daily basis. We're never going to reach a place where we can live victoriously apart from God's daily grace and mercy. We're going to need it. That's why that song is so appropriate. I need you. I need you every hour. I need you, God. I'm here, but I I know I'm a sinner. I know you've saved me, but I need you. Oh, I need you. See, I think a lot of people think they can turn on their faith. You can't do it. You can't turn it on like a spigot. You've got to live daily, abiding, with a daily abiding faith. Now, let me say this. Abiding, abiding is defined this way, to dwell, to reside, and to adhere to. What if, you know, I carry a cell phone usually. I wish I could think of that cell phone as that that God right there i 'm abiding with him he 's there with me i got i 've got access to him at any time. I need him now. Let me stop and pray uh, three hours later hours later something else comes up. I can get his attention again. but if you look at that John fifteen it says that abiding faith produces fruit. we all should desire that abiding fruit. Fruit, uh, Abiding faith, here's our prayer. God says, you'll ask, I'll hear it. Abiding faith, with that we can glorify our Father. We need to walk in daily connection with God. From tomorrow morning when you get up, till you lay that head down. Abide with Him. You and I need Him every hour. Now, before I leave that, I'm just about through. When... I trusted Christ, I do think my old man was dealt with to some extent, the old nature, the flesh, the old man. But I don't think it's been annihilated nor exterminated. I think it's still there. Now, it's been dealt a death blow. But I guess it's like the boxer. You know, unless you knock him out, they can get back up. Or after you knock him out, he does get back up. It's still around. Now, I don't know how you process. I'm not, I'm not telling you that I, th- I think this is the only way to approach this, this issue of how a Christian can all of a sudden have thoughts come into their mind that they hate and don't know why they're there. But it's helped me because I believe that the annihilation and extermination will come. But it's going to come when Christ come, returns for me or returns for his body. Then I think the old man is out of there because I'll have a new body. And so will you. But it's still there. It's still hanging around. And you can stick your chest out and say, not me. I'm a super-duper Christian. Who are you fooling? Who are you fooling? You ain't fooling God. I found that out. I couldn't fool God. Well, Paul had to learn the seeming contradiction of God's strength Coming out of personal weakness. And he does. 2 Corinthians 12, nine, nine, 9 through 10 says, My grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Do you hear what Paul's saying? I'm boasting not about strength, I'm boasting about my weaknesses. Because then Christ's power may rest upon me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, who is strong? The one who needs to be strong in our lives. When I'm weak, then he is strong. I've got six grandkids. I'll be right, I'll be through in just a second, Ron. For anybody at looking, my watch is messed up, see, I've got 25 too. I do have to tell you about this story. I've got a grandson named Joseph, and Naomi is his sister. They come over to our house, and Mimi, that's my wife, and I watch them And uh, so our kids can go out. Every time they come over, we play hide-and-seek. Joseph and Naomi love to play hide-and-seek. We do it in couples. I take Joseph, Laverna, my wife, Mimi, takes Naomi, and we do it in teams. So the girls go hide, we try to find them. Then we reverse it back and forth. You ever do that? Okay. Joseph's four and Naomi's two. Well, when it's time for, it happens every time, that we go to find the girls. Joseph's got a hold of my pant leg. And, you know, he knows what's going to happen. They're going to jump out and say, ooh, you know, and he's going to get scared. But he grabs a hold of my pant leg. And uh, I walk with him. And you know what? I love it. I love the fact that Joseph has got a a hold of my pant leg and wants me to, to be there for him. My heart just raises up. And that reflex of him reaching out for my help means that he thinks I can handle anything and everything. I'm big. I'm his grandpa. He's showing a deep faith in me. I'll come to his rescue. I'll meet his urgent needs. I'll take care of him. Now, you apply that to God. As an individual, we need to grab a hold of his pant leg, God's pant leg, because the truth of the matter is that's what delights God. When we run to him, when we throw ourselves upon him in believing prayer, he rejoices. He doesn't want me out on my own trying to earn merit stars for him. He wants me to lean on him, walk close to him. He's not interested in my doing He's interested in my receiving. See, I think i got to do. There's that human nature again. He's not interested in what I achieve. He's interested in what I receive. Bob would almost always or many times, I would say, at our prayer meetings, praise this prayer from, as a part of his prayer from the verse, Hebrew 416. And that's all about receiving by faith. It goes this way. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's where I am. That's where God has me today. Realizing that I need that every day to come boldly up again to the throne of grace. Poor illustration, but here, tap tap me in. Give me some more today. And I'm going to need it Friday and Saturday and Sunday. I'm going to need it every day. Boldly come to the throne of grace to find obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. So, how you doing? Did you get your supply today? Are you walking in abiding faith? Do you have you understood your need for God? Father, we ask you to teach us all that we need you. Oh, we need you. We're we're not in isolation. We're not by ourselves. We have a great need for our our Savior and our Lord, who not only saved us, but wants to be vitally involved in our sanctification process. And I pray that that each one of us will step up tomorrow in our quiet time, in our Bible reading, whatever, and, and tell you again how dependent we are upon you. And can you give us some more grace for today? Lord, the strongest Christian is not the one with his chest out. The strongest Christian is the one that's on his knees. Boldly before you, expressing his love and his need for you. To that end, make all of us, as we strive, to live and love you. In Jesus' name, amen.